This episode of Brio TV, the podcast, is sponsored by Super Channel. Super Channel Heart and Home is the place where you'll find over 100 festive flicks, and they're, they're going to keep running. They're running right through till January 5th. CTV, who urge you to get into it this season with some new shows that are coming up in January, including Call Me Cat and also Hollywood Suite, home of the acclaimed new 10-episode drama, Valley of Tears, now streaming and part of a free preview through January 5th. Well, again, thanks for joining me here on the podcast, and I'm very, very excited today. We have a great special guest, and uh, this is a lady uh, I've met on a couple of occasions, been lucky enough to be on the set of her very successful show, Murdoch Mysteries. My goodness, about to start its 14th season on CBC, coming up January 4th, I believe, Uh, and uh, my pleasure again to introduce... Helen Joy. Helen, thank you so much for uh, being a guest today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, we um, are all sitting at home. There's plenty of time on our hands leading up to Christmas, so this seemed like a fun thing to do. Well, uh, I appreciate that. Normally, where would you be right now for Christmas? Uh, do you go back to Australia? What's your ritual? Yeah, usually I, um, I like to escape the cold by about December 6th. Mm-hmm. In my prediction over years, I've noticed that December 6th, usually not this year, but is usually when the, the Christmas madness begins to ramp up and people start getting angry in traffic and all <laughs> these strange things start happening. So I'm like, it's time for me to leave. Um, and so I'm usually in Australia um, via Asia or something like that. And usually by Christmas, um, I'm on a beach and we're having some chicken cold cuts and some champagne. That's how we do it in Australia. It sounds pretty civilized. I've been to um, Sydney many years ago. Uh, you're from Perth, I believe. Is that true? Yeah, the West Coast. So it's just that Lovely. It's literally the other side of the world from where I live. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, and it's a long trip, obviously, to fly, get there. But um, uh, I, So the only beaches I've been there, uh, I guess I took the ferry from Sydney to Bondi Beach and couple of places but it was it was spectacular just just beautiful i remember yeah, you would have gone if you were in sydney you would have taken the ferry over to manly beach that's usually the ferry route and that's that's stunning yeah it's stunning to go through the harbor and i lived in sydney for a couple of years and in melbourne for a couple of years before moving to canada so uh yeah I, it's a spectacular country Neither it is say. yeah and the people are great too and uh, there's that saying, if you're anywhere in the world, you will run into an Australian um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and a Canadian sometimes. But I guess coming from a continent like that, Australians tend to be more uh, travelers, I, I suppose. Is that your... It's absolutely uh, true. Yeah. Like, you know, it's fairly normal that everybody uh, has a story to tell about their massive one-year trip. Where they go. <laughs> Yeah, because, you know, it's expensive to travel from Australia. It's very isolated. So if you're going to go to Europe, you're not going to go for two weeks. So people tend to take a bag, get their savings, and go for a year and just do the world. And that's something just about every Australian has, well, not every, that's a generalization, but it's not unusual for people to tell you all their stories about that kind of stuff. Whereas it's so funny when you travel to other places, I haven't noticed that level of degree of travel. Canadians are close, I think. You know, but when you are traveling, it's always you always meet Australians, Canadians, and Germans. They're the big travelers. 
It's true. In my experience, yeah, 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 uh, which is great. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's it's um, it's pretty cool because you've had um, this wonderful acting career in Canada, but mm. obviously you you started acting in, in Australia. You have uh, several credits there. My memory, just from from being there, and that was like I was still at the Toronto Sun, so this was about twenty years ago. Um, oh, yeah that uh, there was very limited television. Uh, there was a, just a, really a handful of channels. I guess the great wave of Fox and cable uh, yeah. had hit so much. It was, I think, just after uh, the Olympics had been held in, in, oh, yeah. in and around Sydney. And, um, uh, but I remember turning on the TV, and it was not a lot of stuff. But what was on was all Australian. Like, it was very... Yeah, you know what's uh, great about Australia? That I think they benefit from the, uh, the, from the distance from a lot of other countries, and they very much watch their own. You know, like there's, you know, I watch great TV from uh, America and from um, Britain growing up and a couple of Canadian shows even. But, uh, but you know, the show, the mainstay shows that we watched, you know, when TV was a thing we planned on Thursday night watching that on Wednesday, there were Australian TV shows. And Australians are still like that. You know, uh, I wouldn't say my mother is a film buff, but she will definitely go out and see the latest Australian film at the cinema. Like, everybody's watching Australian. And it's a very unfortunate thing that I've observed since I moved to Canada, how we don't have that. Uh, it's a much lesser degree and it really hurts the, hurts the business here and it hurts the, uh, the system here, which uplifts artists. You know, it really is uh, detrimental, I think. Um, but in Australia, for instance, like America, if I had done a TV show that ran for this length of time, yeah. Uh, better or worse, I'd be in all the TV rags and everyone would know, you know, who I was dating and, and what dog I owned. They would just, you know, there's paparazzi is, is a thing down there for Australian actors as they are, you know, for America. We, you know, I have, I, I actually don't, that doesn't bother me here in Canada because I'm a very private person. But, but, the, but what that does is mean that, you know, actors kind of uh, are able to, um, upscale the careers constantly. If you're working a lot, it leads to a lot more work because that's the way those systems or star systems, as they call it, work. So Australia is, um, is very much uh, alive and well. And the thing about the five channels you were talking about, it's so true. Uh, when I go back to Australia, still most people just have their five channels. They don't bother with cable. You know, wow. now they've gone to streaming and so they all have Netflix or Stan is the one down in Australia. Um, but they still have the five channels. But I, remarkably, those five channels are some of the best channels you'll ever see. Like the, the world programming, incredible movies, the documentaries, like it's good TV. So they've kept it small and it's very high quality. And I imagine that among the, the shows you can see, in Australia, yeah, there's Murdoch Mysteries, right? Yes, it's on Channel 7 down there, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, this is a show, I don't know if people would realize this, I believe it's in 120 territories around the world. That's uh, what I've heard also, yeah, it's everywhere. Yeah. What, what do you think? Have you seen yourself dubbed in German or Japanese or, you know? <laughs> people have sent me funny videos of, you know, they're in Greece and one from France. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen myself dubbed. And I've actually, uh, I don't know how they've managed to get my details, but I've gotten messages through to me from um, actresses who play me in, you know, in, in Farsi and in French. And they send me messages to say, you know, I've been loving playing 
uh, Julia all these years, you know, because they use the same actress. That's fantastic. And, yeah. So there's people that, have, uh, that are working solidly from dubbing our voices. This is Dr. Julia Ogden, of course, uh, who is a, a pioneer in terms of a doctor on television, I believe, you know, in Toronto back uh, well over 100 years ago mm-hmm. in, in the storyline. Uh, you must enjoy playing this character. It's a really fun character. You know, I've been uh, on TV and film and, and theater for many years and You know, if I had to choose a character that I wanted to be with for this length of time, um, this would be pretty high up there. You know, period has a weakness for every actor. People love playing period. You know, it's very transformational. But also she's just a, she's a cool chick, you know, and I get a lot of amazing feedback from young women, older women, you know, um, that they find her inspirational. And that's something I wouldn't have expected. But over time, you know, when enough people, uh, because we've been going this long, enough people in the world start to uh, know about her, uh, I get a lot of feedback about how inspiring she is, particularly as a scientist and as a free mm-hmm. thinker and as a sort of modern woman in, in a love story whereby she's very empowered. Um, it, it's, a, it's a great character to play, really fun. Yeah, she is, certainly. Um, and uh, my goodness, 14 seasons, like 200 episodes. This is a mm-hmm. tremendous run in, in Canada. Uh, shows in Australia, obviously, you've got EastEnders. Uh, there's shows I know of that have gone on for many, many years. But yeah. uh, mm-hmm. would, would uh, a run of 14 in prime time be unusual there? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Neighbours and Home and Away, these kind of stock shows have been going for longer than that, but they are also considered soaps, you know, the uh, as opposed to a drama. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's very rare to see a show in Australia go this long. I don't think Just- I've ever heard of a show outside yeah. of those. Yeah. No, it's rare in Canada, that's for sure. Okay, are you in the holiday spirit yet? Now, I know things are different this year. It's hard to pucker up under the mistletoe if you're wearing a mask, right? Or exchange presents from six feet away, unless you're a pretty good catch. Now, here's the good news. The folks at Super Channel, well, they're going to try and put you in the spirit with a sleigh full of holiday movies airing from now right through January 3rd. They've got over 100 Christmas movies in all on Super Channel, Heart, and Home, one of their four commercial-free services. 20 of these holiday movies premiere and are brand-new films, many of them shot in Canada and made by and starring Canadians. You're going to see many familiar faces in there. Luke McFarlane is in Karen Kingsbury's Maggie's Christmas Miracle, Cindy Sampson in Christmas Crush, or Aaron Karpluck in Christmas Cupcake. So listen, make some hot chocolate, throw on a Yule log, or even just press the on button on your gas fireplace. Cozy up somehow and get together with Super Channel Heart and Home Festive Flicks. You can read up on all their titles online at superchannel.ca slash Christmas. That's superchannel.ca slash Christmas. You'll find a full schedule there. And don't worry if you've missed a premiere. These movies are also available anytime on streaming and on demand. We were talking a little bit off air beforehand. You mentioned um, when you were um, becoming an actress in Australia and performing on these shows, some of your colleagues and other actors 
like yourself who have gone on to have these great careers uh, that you had worked with? If you could just maybe mention a couple of, of those folks. Oh, I don't know. I mean, back in the day when I'd go off and do TV shows, I remember having a really hilarious experience um, with Guy Pierce back when he was um, he was the lead of a TV show called, um, oh, based on the movie. Uh, uh, oh, God, now I'm going to forget it. Um, Snowy Mountain? What was the movie oh, yeah. called? The Man the- from... The man from a return to Snowy Mountain or... Man from Snow. Oh, my God. I'll remember that by the end yeah. of this. Um, Bedtime but- for Snowy Mountain. Snowy Mountain goes to college. That's I think it was a series. Not to remember. It'll come <laughs> to me. Anyway, he was, uh, he was, you know, one of the leads on that series, and I had to play a love interest for him. I was, you know, a, a, an opera singer coming through town, and that was my first taste of period. I remember having, like, five petticoats and <laughs> trudging through mud with courses and all of that kind of thing but he had just returned from doing LA Confidential so he was just about to like explode wow. and so that was that was fun but I also I trained with Hugh Jackman which uh people mm-hmm. don't know about because I don't really talk about it that much but he um he trained in Western Australia with me as well because he's a uh I think he was grew up in Sydney but uh there's three pretty prestigious schools in Australia and the NIDA and the VCA and and WAPA, which is on the West Coast where I was living. And so he came over for that and uh, it was a really great training um, and it was fun to get to know him back then when he was pretty much a kid. So. I guess so. That's great. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask too, there was a, a fellow, I, a colleague here, a journalist, who had a, a tremendous following in Australia as a rock star, I think, Greg Quill. Um, and I read an article where Greg interviewed you right at the start of Murdoch Mysteries. Oh, yeah. was, was Greg someone you were aware of when you were living there? No. Okay, well. No, well I remember I, being interviewed by him, but, uh, but I don't know anything else. Yeah, but it was uh, he was uh, he had the TV beat for a little while, but he wrote about a lot of different things. But I know he was a singer and performer in Australia many years ago, before your time, probably. Right. Uh, Greg was quite a character. Um, but even then, as you had said earlier, when he interviewed you, then um, you were remarking about how, as a Canadian, as a star of a Canadian TV show how uh, you were able to, to travel and bike around the city fairly uh, anonymously, uh, which surprised you because, as you say, um, in Australia, things would be different. Yeah, um, different. And, and, and it is odd. You know, it's a bit disheartening, as you say. People come to Toronto and they might look around and see all these billboards along the Gardner Expressway for um, – you know, all these shows and think, wow, what a busy place, all these famous people working here. But they're actually shows that are made in America. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, 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 and, and uh, I mean, here's a show, Murdoch, that million people a week and more watch in Canada have consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, yet you don't find that same kind of signage and publicity and promotion generally. Um yeah. What's the answer? Do you have a theory about what, what, what's wrong or what could be done that, in that area? I mean, I don't profess to understand the, you know, why um, this has happened. I, I suspect it has a lot to do with money. And, yeah. we, you know, we're a smaller economy. We, we work uh, based on funding a lot in this country to create our art. And um, 
the the money that usually go is budgeted within American budgets for publicity is massive. Mm-hmm. Where it seems in Canada, it's always uh, like an add-on. It's a little bit, you know, we you know we'll make the show. That's that's what we can do, and then we'll just see how it goes. And you know, I've been on shows. I joked about years ago in a, in uh, Canada where I was like, you know, we had one billboard on a bus, and I'm like, it's just it seems like there's one bus rolling around the city. And <laughs> I don't know, you know, and and that makes it hard. And so, you know, half the time when a great show comes out and it gets some sort of good publicity, Canadians think it's American. They'll be surprised yes. to find out it is Canadian because they just don't think of Canadian shows as having that kind of, you know, heft behind them, but also that kind of budget. And it, it is a sad thing. We are um, eclipsed by the massive power yeah. um, financial backing of the American, um, That's for sure. you know, yeah. American film and TV business, but you know, I just think attitude also is a big thing, and I think it has improved. It's happened. It's improved greatly over the last ten years in Canada. I felt like, as an outsider, I really saw it so clearly, and I was amazed that people here didn't realize. Like, this isn't the way it is in other countries. You know, mm. you know, I I, uh, I went traveling and uh, sort of swung it into a fun. Uh, course, you know, a kind of acting uh, course that I did in Vienna for three weeks um, one year when I was <clears throat> in the summer traveling. And I worked with a ton of actors in this group that had sort of similar careers to me. And that's where it became really evident, you know, this is a really small country with not a lot of money and, again, public funding. But these actors worked in uh, plays, huge plays <clears throat> that were attended widely um, and on TV shows and films. And they, they went between these things because there was very much uh, the country's support for them and uh, and a sort of, I hate using the word star system because it sounds sort of pretentious, but it is a very viable system that helps actors uh, and productions sustain um, interest and audiences, right? Mm-hmm. So a, an actor is great in this, we put him in this, we bring the audience over there and we, you know, it's a, it's a basic system but unfortunately in Canada it, it doesn't work very well uh, because we don't we don't have an attitude of supporting our own or watching our own and uh, yeah it is we're overwhelmed by the product from south of the border that has the three four million dollar an episode budgets for sure yeah. but uh, but on the other hand uh, you know the good news for you and looking at your credits my goodness you, you've been in some Tremendous shows in Canada, Durham County, This Is Wonderland. Those are two shows, maybe two of the best ever uh, in terms of scripted drama. Right. Um, and uh, those must have been wonderful experiences for you. They were. Durham County was something special. And, I, you know, it's sad to me that it kind of came in prior to to what I feel like is a bit of a renaissance of TV in general all over the world and Canada included. It yeah. just it was ahead of its time. It and was, yeah. It was ahead of its time. And so it, it, it still is under the wire. And, and I wish that it was uh, more available now even. I don't know where it, it can be watched. But it is one of, I'm proud to say, one of the greatest TV shows I feel like we've made in Canada. And I was very happy to be a part of it for three, four, three small seasons. I'm sure you must have been. It was a great show with a great cast. Um, you were also on a show that I was on for one episode, Puppets Who Kill. <laughs> that was cool. Were you killed on Puppets Who Kill? No. I, 
I had intercourse with a dead person. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, listen, I think, I think I have to follow up and ask a bit more about that. My goodness. And that, now, this is a show of people may or may not remember. There was a guy, Dan Redigan, who I went to school with. And uh, so I, I've known Dan forever and ever. And he would be uh, one of the creative people on the show. But also, he was the lead who played the guy who ran this sort of halfway house for bad puppets. And, uh, and uh, so it was a very strange, strange show. Now, what were you doing playing, having intercourse with a dead person on this show? You may have to explain that a bit. The storyline, it really was. I mean, I love shows that are that crazy. And I think that Canada is should be very proud of the fact that it makes crazy shows like this. <laughs> it is a place where crazy things like this are made more than most, I think. Mm. You know, the Brits, Canadians, they make these weird things. Anyway, um, it, yeah, I... I <laughs> <laughs> You know, Dan was the human and the puppets were all of his, you know, halfway bad, you know, these bad guys, cr- the criminals. And um, and it's revealed that Dan has a crush on his cousin. And so uh, they go off to a, a family. Um, uh, <laughs> sorry, it's so silly. They go off to a family funeral to check her out. And one of the puppets finds her in a very compromising position with the corpse. And they realize that she's she's a... Do you call it necrophiliac? Right, yes. I think so. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, whoa, that's crazy. So Dan decides to fake his own um, funeral so that she'll make out with him. Oh, no. Uh, which, oh, no. you know, if you really think about logistically, it doesn't make any sense, but whatever. Um, and it's, it, yeah, it, <laughs> it gets funnier and funnier as he's trying to basically have sex with his cousin. It's wow. Horrifying, so it's pretty funny, and the the puppets just keep catching her, and she keeps going. I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> that is so Dan Redigan. When, when I, I went to high school with Dan and grade school, but I went, the high school was out in the West End of Tobacco, Michael Power, and we were supposed to wear blazers and ties, and Dan was caught without a tie. And was sent, uh, was told, you know, don't come back unless you have a tie. He went to the art room and got a paintbrush and painted a tie on his shirt. So right then I knew someday he would be the showrunner of a show called Puppets Who Kill. That's hilarious. Yeah. I have similar stories from when I went to high school. Just what I, I, uh, I used to, my mother, uh, when I was younger, uh, ran a company called The Curtain Lady. Basically, she did, uh, these things have become less fashionable now, but drapes and curtain upholstery yeah. and that kind of thing. She did great business doing that. And so there was just tons and tons of amazing fabric around our house. And so I just used to wear it to school, you know, sarong-like or tied around my neck. Like I just was, I just didn't really care about the rules of clothing. Anyway, and so there's this, they, they started a, a committee at school and I was like, everyone was like, what the hell? It was a committee for the clothing committee. And then the first rule that the clothing committee announced was that all pieces of clothing need to be worn in the way that they were designed to be worn. And I remember everybody at school going, what? And I knew exactly what they, the rule was for me and me only. Everyone else wore their sweaters as sweaters. I used to wear the shirts, you know. Um, well, they brought out a rule for my benefit at school because I just I just decided I would wear things however. I'd cut them up and, like, wear them however. Like <laughs> that's, that's sensational. Now, how fitting for an actress to be wearing drapes, I think. I think that's kind of a... <laughs> Just uh, for foreshadowing of all the uh, stage work and everything else to come. Good for I you. I love dressing up. It's true. 
That's cool. Uh, well, now um, I want to ask uh, more about this 14th season of uh, Murdoch and also, you know, shooting under COVID safety protocol and everything else. Uh, but first, we're just going to take a short break to hear from uh, a sponsor or two, and we'll be right back with Helen Joy. CTV is urging viewers to get into it this fall. Get into what, you may be asking. Well, let me tell you, the network hasn't let a little old coronavirus shut down its scheduling, especially over the holiday season. CTV is the home of the Santa Claus Parade, with Santa and all those floats and marching bands and celebrity clowns coming to you from the safe confines of Canada's Wonderland this year. You can see it all on CTV and CTV2 or stream it on demand. CTV also has My Gift, a Christmas special from Carrie Underwood. They also have plenty of non-holiday fare, like new episodes of Magnum, as well as the new reality series, The Masked Dancer. It's sort of like Dancing with the Stars meets The Masked Singer. And you'll find more holiday fun on their specialty channels, including a Christmas episode of Corner Gas Animated. That's going to be on CTV Comedy Channel in December. Then there's Crave, where a new season of Letterkenny, premiering on Christmas Day, will remind us that it's pert near the most wonderful time of the year. So don't be a Scrooge. Get into it this December on the CTV family of channels. Okay, we're back with Helen Joy, who is uh, about to launch into the 14th season of Murdoch Mysteries on CBC. It's returning on January the 4th on a Monday, of course. Everybody, a lot of fans love this show, boy. And, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Helen plays Dr. Julia Ogden. You started out, from what I understand, even before the series started, there was a series, a couple of TV movies. And if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken... You played another character in one of those films. Is that correct? Yeah, that's actually what led to me being in the series in the first place. Mm. So I just I played a baddie. I played oh, okay. a, a syphilitic baby killer. Oh. Yes, she was evil. Having no an affair with her nephew and a child. And anyway, she ended up killing some children. She wasn't nice. But she was dying of syphilis and she didn't care. So anyway... Um, something, I don't know, uh, the writer of the books, the original books, um, Maureen Jennings. Maureen she Jennings, was, yeah. She was very impressed with me. And so she was like, you, you know, I mean, I don't know why in particular, but she'd written this character and she was like, you did so much of this character more than I expected. And she was just, she was just uh, really nice about it and was very impressed with me. And so she said, I really feel like you'd be an amazing Ogden. And she just started talking to Christina Jennings about me. And that was... Executive producer, yep. Yes. And I didn't put... They just happened to have the same last name, which is strange. Yeah. um, I didn't put a lot of credence in it. I mean, as an actor, you just can't get too attached to the idea of something that could or could not happen. So I honestly just didn't think about it. And so maybe it was six months or maybe longer later when they were uh, casting... And then all of a sudden they were like, okay, they want to see you. And, and they weren't sort of in the early stages of casting. They were in the late stages of casting. So I was very much, it was me and two other people. And so it was a very short little process. And suddenly I was uh, Julia Ogden. That, so that was, it was very fun. 
That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, well, good for Maureen Jennings. She's a lovely lady. I've met her on a few occasions there and obviously wrote the books that the whole thing is based on. Um, and, uh, you know, with uh, Yannick Besson has been a guest on here a few months ago, mm-hmm. and um, we talked a bit about um, this crazy year and the, this past summer, um, how it kind of affected him. Uh, he's It was very introspective about a lot of things that uh, we talked about. Um, did you have that same kind of experience? Was this a year of taking stock? How, how has it been for you with the pandemic and everything uh, as, uh, a, you know? Yes, it's been a huge year of taking stock. I'm a big traveler. I would be running off in between everything. And, you know, for better or worse, those things are fun, but they don't allow for a lot of introspection. And suddenly you're sort of here and we didn't know if Merrick was going to happen. We hoped the entire time it was a shorter season. And so really a lot of the year I've been very, you know, here and not going anywhere. And all of a sudden you're like, well, I'm going to have to garden. Otherwise I'll go crazy. And, uh, (laughs) and I best, you know, get better at cooking. Otherwise I'll go crazy. And so (laughs) you spend a lot more time alone and you certainly find out who your closest people are. And, um, and, yeah, I mean, I'm in the midst. Uh, luckily, I've angled the camera so you can't see it, but a part of this whole thing is that I'm in the midst of a massive rehaul of my whole uh, home so that everything that was ever in storage is get, I'm getting rid of. This, this sense um, that I have that we've all had to come back to our values and uh, be reminded to stop the insane consumerism and I think that, you know, the ideas of, capitalism and uh, the market, the world as it stands and all of the inequity that, you know, this year has thrown up a lot for us to look at and I've definitely been looking at all of it. And part of that has meant that I'm sort of taking stock in my own life and uh, shedding everything that isn't necessary or uh, and donating a lot. And I'm not one that's big into Christmas anyway, but this Christmas in particular, you know, we the few people that I'm are in my bubble, um, we're sort of reusing, and you know, we're we're just not bothering with the whole consumer obsession. Yeah, good for you. No, that's fantastic. It's, it's definitely been a huge year of introspection. I think what happens, I don't know how long you've lived in your house, but I've lived in this house here almost 20 years, and you, yeah. it's shocking when you're uh, faced with sitting in it every day. 24 hours a day, every month, and the months set up, and you realize there's a lot of stuff that doesn't work and things that need to be fixed and a ton of stupid stuff that you don't need or ever use or want. And uh, the shedding of that has been a process we've been uh, going through here for sure. I'm a bit of a pack rat. I'm afraid I collect things like 16 millimeter film, which is heavy and not that portable. And so it's been... uh, having to face up to getting rid of a lot of that and breathing a bit easier when you do finally get the dumpster in the driveway and uh, start mm-hmm. to uh, part with stuff. So good for you. Yes. And I've been doing a lot of seeking out where to take things to donate, you know, a lot of warm clothes, a lot of people need it in Toronto right now. And so yeah. it's been really great to just move it all into the hands of people who need it more than me. And, uh, and shed a bit of weight. And, and I think it's all about like, you know, having to spend so much time in your home, you're like, okay, this needs to be a place that serves me as opposed to, uh, you know, makes things harder for me. So I begin to streamline 
and use your space better and get smarter about it. And so, yeah, I, uh, I found in the end the only way to make it happen, to force it through, was to empty every cupboard into, into the floor. So that's what I'm at Yeah. So, and then sort through it. So I've got two more days to get it done. I'd prefer to have it done by Christmas Day. <laughs> wow. Good for you. But Nothing like a deadline. That's great. Yeah, the only way you can do it is to make it, you know, unbearable. So that's what I did. <laughs> well, nicely done. Well, this is what happens. So you, you're you completed shooting, obviously, the season, and um, there was a shorter episode uh, mm-hmm. order this time. What was there, 11, 12 new episodes? 11. 11. Um, yeah. And it must be fun for you, too, this time of year. When you turn on the TV, you get to watch – your Christmas episodes are on uh, again and in high rotation. I saw one the other night. Um, those are always very fun. One of them I haven't watched, so I should try and find like yeah. I should seek it out. Now's the time to catch up. Can you tell us at all what's in store for uh, Julia this season? Well, there's a lot in store. It's an interesting one. Uh, you know, being slightly shorter was a blessing under the circumstances. Now we realize, but um it's an interesting one where we had to streamline things. So there, you'll notice that things are a little bit different, and I, there's some locations we just couldn't get to, et cetera. Mm. So um, Julie is not in her workplace and in her world as much as she is in the world of uh, of the, the station and everything going on there. So she's very much involved in everything that's happening, which is fun. So she's basically, you know, people do love it when uh, Murdoch and Julia work together. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of that throughout the year. She's very much. But also uh, we have the ongoing saga of our strange neighbours and that becomes hilarious and comes to a very critical place, quite dangerous. And so we start to realise, you know, there's a great interweaving of evil characters um, so, that, so that we find out that, that things run a little deeper than we thought, which is always fun. Um, I really loved uh, the first episode, I probably... Um, Yannick spoke a bit about it because it was one that he directed, but I can't wait to see that one. I think it's just going to be funny as hell because it uh, it sort of is in the world of vaudeville. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and, and we shot it in a very unusual way so that we basically go into this sort of black and white nonsense, you know, vaudeville um, slapsticky thing. And I, it's absolutely hilarious to see. That's just great. Like all, all of us who, uh, you know, just have to work in a different way, and it was very funny. Um what? My hat's off to your showrunner, Peter Mitchell. Uh, it is, does some uh, ingenious things. All the writers on the show drawing in actual uh, people who were around in that time and weaving in inventors like Tesla. And, uh, yeah. you know, uh, it, it makes it uh, historically a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, and and you mentioned vaudeville. Are there some famous vaudevillians that yes, uh, are part of the show? Charlie, who? Charlie Chaplin. Charlie, Charlie Chaplin. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's super fun. And so we ended up, you know, a lot of stuff got shot. Uh, this is actually Yannick's episode. Um, uh, I'm not technically sound to describe the type of film, but slightly different way we shot it. 
so that it ends up sort of sped up black and white and there's a lot of just silliness that we all get entrapped into. Um, and so it all ends up looking a little bit like a Charlie Chaplin film at times. And, so and do, we find, do we find Crabtree as one of the Keystone cops? Or, or, you know, he would seem oh, to yeah, be a- there in the nonsense, absolutely. <laughs> what great. I really enjoyed about that episode was they had, you know, as usual, Julia just, you know, while while uh, Murdoch is a little like, well, it's all fake. It's not, you know, it's not really magic. Whereas Julia is just, she's beside herself with laughter. And so it was fun to come back to work and then have to literally be like almost peeing myself in every scene, which I don't want to do. Me, Helene, I couldn't get my act together sometimes. And so there's just a lot of hilarity and silliness. That's great. So that, and I think that that's people, what people need. So that's kind oh, of- no kidding! What a relief! Can hardly wait. That's fantastic. Um, it's been a lot this- darker toward the end of the season, mm-hmm. and um, there's a huge curveball which the audience will be intrigued about. Um, oh, in, in the subject of the ongoing subject of whether or will they won't they have a child? So mm. we, uh, I can't tell you anything, but that's but but. It will be satisfying, maybe frustrating. I'm not sure. Okay. All right. Something to look forward to. Continue in that that conversation. All right. Something to look forward to. Um, And what was it like actually trying to um, work? I mean, from what I understand, you're all masked until you're actually in a scene where you're talking. Uh, mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of safety measures. Your even your meals are brought now on trays and individually, there's no cafeteria. Um, you know, even the kissing scenes, you better do it right the first time. Cause you're only going to get one take. Is that what's yeah. going on? Absolutely. Uh, it was strange times and it was hard. It was hard for everyone. Um, you know, you'd see a lot of crew having to skulk off into corners and eat, you know, outside, uh, you know, and, and be away from people in order to drink or eat food all day. So it became kind of difficult just to do basic, you know, get enough fluid in, in your work day and things like that. So it was a lot for, for people to work as hard as we do and then not even be able to eat or drink, you know, without sort of some weird adjustment. And then just so this entire social aspect of working had to be, you know, removed. So yeah. I should have taken a picture of the lunchroom. I never in there but the lunchroom was the weirdest (laughs) (laughs) just bizarre it was like long tables with with chairs miles apart and all facing in the same direction like a classroom you know like no one could face each other and and people sitting miles away from each other all on their phones because there's no one to talk to you know it was it was unfortunate and of course no parties no gatherings no Mm. getting together when we go on on the road and you know it was a no fun zone that's all you can say. We, we, we did it and we did it safely. We had safety meetings every morning. Everyone's complaints and everyone's fears were aired every day. And I think we did an amazing job considering, um, considering how many sets have gone down. Yeah. We never had to go down. I think the shorter season saved us. If we had still been shooting up until very recently, we may have been shut down and that would be a real bummer. Did Um, you have to get uh, tested? Yes, we ended up getting tested once a week. Wow, my goodness. Yeah, um, and we didn't have one person get it, but he was, uh, he was a very young guy, never had a symptom even. Oh, and, great. Uh, he, his job required that he was away from people a lot of the time, so he didn't give it to anyone. 
Good. So he just went home for a couple of weeks and then came back. So we were pretty lucky. Such a strange time. Um, do you have some uh, hope? Do you think that uh, the vaccine will help? Is this something that you would uh, get? Is it uh, going to make a difference, do you think? Look, I think it'll make a huge difference. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not an anti-vaxxer by any means. I mean... Uh, a lot of us are very cautious, though, right? It's very seems kind I'm of rushed and early. And uh, Yeah, I'm not going to be the first person to get it by right. any Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, peop- and there's plenty of people who are in a big rush to get it. So I think that, you know, everybody will have to do it as their... As their um, you know, according to their own set of circumstances and I think you know elderly people highly compromised people for whom this has been a very terrifying time yeah no if they got it they could die so I think that you know priorities become important if there comes a time where they say I can't travel because I have it well I'll just get it so because that's important to me so um but you know I'm someone who doesn't get a flu shot every year I'm I I honestly just never get sick I think I've been sick maybe once in four years um that's you know, great. But, We're knocking wood here. Yes, exactly. So I've been <laughs> incredibly careful. I, you know, I've ridiculously hermited. But, um, yeah, I think that, as they say, 75% of the population gets it. We could be out of the woods. So let's hope that. Yeah, fingers crossed. It yeah. must be frustrating, too, for someone. Not only have you have all these television uh, credits, but stage work, too. You've done a lot of Shakespearean work, uh, both mm-hmm. in Australia and Toronto. Um, uh, heartbreaking, isn't it? These folks who are theater trained and performers, Stratford, have been out of work. Theaters have been dark all this long. It must You must know friends who are in, uh, yeah. in no, the corner. No, it's incredible. They're really, you know, for the first time in their lives, really great. Tony Award winning actors are going, well, I'm going to have to find a new career because you just can't survive for this long. And, and who knows when that's ever going to happen again. I mean, people are doing great um, interesting things to try and, you know, use technology, et cetera, to keep it alive. But, of, of course, it's not the same, and it won't be for a long time. We were, I mean, we were very lucky, terrible to say this, but we were very lucky because we had some actors and people who know the theatre world in Toronto and um, will be very impressed because we had some amaz- amazing actors that would have never been available to come on the show. Right. Mev Beatty, I don't know if you know Mev. Um, oh, Yeah. Wow, um, and a lot of other actors. I've forgotten all their names right now. I'm sorry, but um, they wonderful actors who are usually just way too busy. They're they're solidly um, on in theater shows all through the summer. They were uh, they were on the show for the first. Wow, time. that's fantastic. Well, there is a silver lining. You're right. We get to see yeah. these people on on uh, Murdoch Mysteries. That's fantastic. Now, you want something cool for Christmas that's absolutely free? How about a full month's worth of Hollywood Suite? The nationwide free preview is available right now through January 5th, granting full access to all four of Hollywood Suite's TV channels, as well as Hollywood Suite On Demand. So yeah, more free, uncut, uninterrupted, comfort and joy holiday fare right in time for Christmas. Suite is also the exclusive home of one of the most acclaimed new series in December, Valley of Tears. This 10-episode drama was the most-watched show ever in its native Israel. It follows stories of heroism and sacrifice inspired by the 1973 Yom Kippur War and was shot on actual battlefront locations, 
HBO Max grabbed it in the States. Only Sweet has it in Canada. You'll also be able to sample the latest episodes of Hollywood Sweet's original documentary series, A Year in Film. Plus, there's Kianasance, a months-long celebration of Canada's favorite dude, Keanu Reeves. Excellent. Did I mention all this is free? And don't worry if afterwards you get hooked on Hollywood Suite. The regular price is just $5 a month. That's like free American. Check out the Suite deal today. Let me just uh, wrap things up by asking a couple of uh, other questions here. Um, And I ask this of every guest, just in terms of uh, television, we talked a bit about you're growing up in Australia, how TV was different there. Um, but did you have a favorite show growing up? Was there something that even as a youngster you thought, uh, wow, this is so cool. This is something I'd like to do someday. Uh, I had some Australian shows that no one would know about, you know, no one would know of. Um, but, and I feel really sad saying some of them because, you know, I know that there's people who find it a bit cheesy. I, I've always been a comedy fiend. Like I just, if it's comedic, I want to watch it. Like I will just watch Seinfeld forever. Right. And Friends, I find them brilliant as much as people love to make fun of the Friends show. I was obsessed with Friends when I was young. Uh-huh. Um, i I got to say a lot of the shows I watched were uh, were. I mean, I wasn't thinking about it at the time, but they were multi-camera in-studio comedies. Mm-hmm. And I kind of was obsessed with those as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I watched a lot of British TV as well, um, which I realize now was the same as well. Um, I'm trying to think of what, what they were. Oh, my God, there's so many. Yes, Minister, um, all those. You mean the British comedies like Faulty Towers and things like yeah, that? Yeah, those things were on rerun in Australia when I was little, and I watched a lot of that with my folks. Um, TV wasn't the same as it is now. It wasn't as sophisticated as it is now, I don't think. Right. But the, the drama didn't ever really catch me in the same way as the comedy did. I was obsessed with comedy. But I also was obsessed with black and white movies. That's kind of what I watched, comedy and black and white movies. Um, I, you know, I wanted to be Ginger Rogers. <laughs> and, wow. Well, uh, who didn't? Yeah. Who did? <laughs> uh, you know, I actually, I actually got to meet Ginger Rogers. What? I'll tell you a quick story. I was down in uh, uh, Walt uh, Disneyland in California, lived mm-hmm. there. Years ago, I worked for TV Guide and was working there, and my parents came down, and we took them to um, Disneyland, and we were at Disneyland at an old theater. It looked like something out of Murdoch Mysteries. It was a gay 90s kind of a theater and mm-hmm. um, the Gordon Golden Horseshoe Theater or something. And there was uh, a publicist I knew with Ginger Rogers. And mm-hmm. my mom uh, was down, and my mom uh, could not have been more excited because here was someone she watched growing up and just adored. So my mom got to sit down, and I uh, basically, excuse me, Miss Rogers, if you don't mind, my mom is a big fan. She couldn't have been nicer. She sat her down. She took her hand. The two of them had a little visit, and uh, it was very touching and sweet. So um, I've been a huge Ginger Rogers fan ever since. Absolutely. I just wanted to, you know, like I kind of wanted to be a dancer before I wanted to be an actor. Wow. Um, I'm glad I pivoted because there's even less work for dancers. Um, But – 
I was obsessed with that when I was a kid and, and possibly musical theatre, but, you know, I, I mean, I have a voice, I can sing, but it's by no means. When, when I did eventually go to acting school and we were alongside the musical theatre kids, that's when you realise, like, oh, yeah, we're not there. You know, we used to have to perform, <laughs> we used to have to perform for them once a month. And that's, uh, funnily enough, like Hugh Jackman, he would sing, he had a pretty good voice, but everyone was very shocked when eventually his real into the business was through musical theater, you know, before, yeah. he, before he was discovered in America, you know, mm-hmm. he was doing um, the West End in England because he'd auditioned for a musical in Australia and got it. You know, he was, I think the beast in beauty and the beast. Wow. Um, and, you know, he's not a singer. He just, he just had something that they liked. But yes, I, I, you know, I can sing, but by no means the way those kids that have been training since they were five. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, I'm waiting for Wolverine the musical. I think you kill. <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping for that someday. Now, I've seen you perform comedy live. I, I would go to the tapings of the Royal Canadian Air Force uh, every, oh. uh, every year. And, uh, and as I recall, you were in the, uh, some sketches there um, back when that was um, a regular New Year's Eve event in Canada first yep. year this year that they don't have a new year's special. Um, oh, you must have had fun doing that working with the, uh, I did, although that was a crazy, that was a crazy learning curve in one afternoon. I was like, <laughs> wow, like it's just such a different, I think that their guests come in and have similar like shock value, you know, uh, <laughs> reading, reading while you're acting, reading your, your lines off of screen in front of people. I mean, I just have never in my life had right. that experience. And, uh, the rehearsal was an utter disaster. I remember hearing a camera guy going, oh, jeez. Like he was, was like, oh, you can say that a little, little lighter for my benefit, please. And you can see everybody going, oh, Jesus, is she going? And then, you know, I had to just go away and have a big talk to myself and practice mentally for what I had to do. Um, and then it went, it went just well. It went really well. Yeah, I was sitting in the bleachers. It went, you nailed it. It was great. So, uh, you know, that was, whew, you know, just two hours before that, I was, I was like, Oh God, <laughs> we may have to call this whole thing off. It was just a, it was a terrible, uh, a very steep learning curve. I have a lot of respect for those guys who just churn that out. You know, uh, yeah. that's hard. It's really hard. It's a different yeah. set of skills. That's for but sure. I've always, uh, comedy has been, I mean, well before I ever did drama, comedy was what I was doing. And, uh, but, you know, that's what happens. You sort of you get slotted in people, that, you know, they don't think of you that way. But, well, um, it, it's nice that there are light moments, though, in Murdoch. There is, a, you know, oh, an opportunity to do some a bit absolutely. of comedy, right? Yeah. We've had more and more because we realize that the audience loves it. Yeah, they sure do. Um, are, do you watch a lot of TV now? Um, I don't watch TV per se, but yes, I guess I've been over this particularly this year streaming mm. a lot of shows. Well, you mentioned uh, just uh, black and white, uh, classic films. Uh, you, do you mm. watch Turner classic movies? Do you watch, uh, you know? No, I haven't. I've moved away from that now, I must admit. But and and also, strangely, movies are something I don't watch so much of right now. It's uh, TV has sort of eclipsed movies for me. Yeah, for um, a lot of us, there, there's so many great, great TV series. What are you streaming? Oh gosh, I can never remember what I'm streaming. Um, I watched something that disturbed me for days, and I wish that I never had have done it. And oh. that was a uh, documentary, a short documentary series called The Vow. I haven't I seen know. it. 
it was about uh, because it was quite close to home. It was um, it was in set in LA and, and upstate New York and Vancouver. Uh, it's this true story, really, of um, of of a cult that was existing called Nixium or something at the time, and uh, it attracted a lot of actresses from Vancouver around the time when I was living there. Oh my god. Uh, it's a dire story. I recommend it if people love that kind of thing. I don't normally watch crime or a reality TV, but I got interested in this. And this well, if you want to, I'm sorry. Yes. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No. What were you not. saying? I was just saying this is why I don't, because it literally kept me disturbed for days and days afterwards. I was obviously too sensitive for that kind of thing. Well, if I can su- suggest a cleanser then, uh, yeah. I don't know if you've seen it and you'd, I'm sure you'd be interested. It's this tremendous documentary on uh, HBO and Crave now about the Bee Gees. Have you seen it? Oh, no, I'd love to. Oh, my I'd goodness. To, it's, it's wonderful. And uh, it's just stunning. Um, you, you forget, uh, or I did at least, the amount of great music these guys did. Uh, yeah. 20, 19 or 20 number one songs. Um, wow. And, and just their story, there's a bit of sadness to it because you just have Barry who remains. Uh, there's uh, two brothers. Oh. And, and, of course, even Andy Gibb is the younger brother, long gone. Uh, and so he's kind of looking back, uh, sad, uh, you know, uh, he's the one that he's got the broken heart. He's trying to mend, but the, the music and their story is riveting. Just fantastic. Uh-huh. So check That's it out. Fantastic. I will. I will. I love those guys. I mean, when I was really little, my mother mm. used to listen to them and I loved it. Um, but yeah, I, t- I tend to, I'm a little bit obsessed with shameless, the American shameless. Yeah. So you know, this is the, the 11th and final season. Yes. So I've been loving that. I just, I mean, the performances. What a, it's what a, what a, what a family. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I got to say, I, I feel a familiarity, not, not to the degree, not by any means, but you know, in Australia, there's a, there's a, a roughness to Australians um, that, I don't find here necessarily, but I also find that I'm sort of uh, living in an area that is gentrifying and I feel a ton of, uh, um, a, a, a ton of similarities, you know, and I'm, I'm the evil gentrifier, frankly, because I own a home in the middle of that. But, uh, and so I see a lot of parallels in, in the, yeah, in shameless. Chicago, because, yeah, and so and I think it's brilliant, and it's brilliant pivot the way they pivoted to to everything that happened this year and everything that's happening um, in Black Lives Matter and the whole you know they yeah. really brought everything. They haven't shied away from any subject, and it's brilliant, brilliant. It, show. it is a brilliant show. Did it was any of that touched on this season on Murdoch? Did, did you? I, I wondered, thinking you know when was the Spanish plague or the influenza? Mm-hmm. Was there was there any kind of a not there yet? No, no. So we're still yeah. in the a few years before that, right? Yes. Or, or, or what? What about even uh, racial racial issues? Uh, yeah, we did. We did actually have a great episode that touches upon all of that um, to do with the time, and um, they played a lot with the the characters that we already have in the show. Um, uh, Sham, uh, sorry, not Sham, um, Shanice's character, um, the doctor, doctor. Oh my god, I'm calling her Doctor Grace. Right. I? I know who you mean. I know. Uh, we're, we're both drawing <laughs> blanks here. We've got... No, about my show. Um, yeah, Shanice, anyway. And Shanice has this great relationship uh, that develops um, 
again, just playing with all of the ideas there of, you know, who gets away with what because of skin color, et cetera. And Mm -hmm. yeah, we have some episodes that definitely touch upon a lot of those issues. Um, It's a very different time and things were a lot worse back then. No kidding. uh, In that regard. But yeah, yeah, we we didn't shy away from that. That's that's great. Yeah. Well, something to look forward to. You certainly are surrounded by some great actors, Thomas Craig and uh, Johnny Harris and Yannick, uh, of course. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's a wonderful troupe, and uh, Canadians love watching Murdoch Mysteries. So congratulations once again on uh, 14 seasons. Did you ever think back when that show, when City TV canceled it after five, did you think that's that? or? Uh, yeah, I thought that was that. That was a year I and I wasn't too upset because I booked this other series. <laughs> so oh, I was like, really? Oh, was that? I'm moving on. And then uh, the other series didn't get picked up, and Murdoch did, and so I was. We continued on. Wow! Lucky for Murdoch. Lucky for the fans of that show that that worked out that way for for the series. But uh, a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you so much. I know we've been very generous with your time. We'll let you get back. Merry Christmas. I hope it's uh, you have a. Uh, ways to celebrate. It's going to be a little bit different this year. Definitely. Um, will you be Zooming? Will you be doing any visits? Yeah, that absolutely. Yeah, all my family. Uh, I mean, they're very lucky. In Western Australia, there's literally no COVID. They haven't had it for a long time. Everything's as normal. So if That's I could put my fingers and be there, I would be there. But it proved way too difficult to get there. No um, So, yeah, I'll just be Zooming and while they're at the beach and just feeling bad about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, of course, it's summertime in Australia now, right? It's a lovely Yeah, weather. summertime. Well, fingers crossed. Things will work out soon enough. But uh, yeah. thank you again for your time, Helen. It's been uh, wonderful to have this chat, and I uh, really, really appreciate it. All the best in, uh, in 2021. You too. Thanks so much. Have a great okay. Christmas. Happy holiday. Thank you. You too. Take care. Thanks. Bye. All right. Well, I'd like to thank once again uh, my guest, uh, Helen Joy, for uh, for uh, explaining it all on terms of Murdoch Mysteries' 14th season. It starts once again January the 4th on CBC Television at 8 p.m. That's a Monday night, January 4th. Uh, it was great to have her on. I'd like to also thank producer Phil Hong, who has uh, been producing all of our episodes and doing a great job. Thank you, Phil. And, uh, and I wanted to wish everybody uh, a happy new year. This, uh, we're, we're taping this just, just before Christmas. So uh, if you're listening um, between Christmas and New Year's, have a great one this year. It's been a difficult year. We've all been trying to uh, sort it out. But um, one thing I will leave you with and recommend, if you're looking for something different and new to do this New Year's, um, Look up our buddy, Ramblin' Ron James. Ron James, the comedian, he every used to have a, a show on every um, New Year's Eve on CBC. Uh, if you've ever seen him perform live, my goodness, you, you cannot see a better comedian. This guy puts on a show. Uh, it's like a, a clinic on, on stand-up comedy. He's fantastic. And he's doing something really unusual this year. He's going to do a, um, a, a Zoom call on New Year's Eve, and and what I would suggest you do, this isn't, Ron's not a sponsor, but I just want to support this great idea. He is going to be doing a a comedy show from his uh, place in Toronto that's going to go out 
And you can find out more details if you follow um, Ramblin' Ron James on uh, on the web. Uh, just look him up. But the show is called Ron James Live from My Living Room, New Year's Eve, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, I, I, You will be glad you did. You can't have a better time. You will laugh. And it's the best way to get rid of 2020. So take that tip. Check it out. And uh, we'll see everybody in the new year. Thanks for listening. <laughs>